0: Welcome to the Operatic Pastcast, a presentation and preservation of Operatic Memories and Impressions, produced by Donald Cullop. Episode 117 the 1959-1960 season of the Metropolitan Opera found Alfred Hubei as chief usher for Rudolf Bing's tenth season as general manager. Mr. Hube's memories include an opening night new production of Il Trovatore with Antonietta Stella, Carlo Bergonzi and Giulietta Simeonato in her Met debut, Cavalier Rusticano with Jan Pierce and Yussi Burling as Turiddu with the santuzza of Giulietta Simeonato, and a failed new production of Le Nozze di Figaro with Elizabeth Soderstrom in her Met debut as Susanna. Part
1: 1 of 5. The 1959-60 season was Bing's 10th season, a season that had lots of good things about it, especially major, major debuts. It had six new productions, of which two were absolute failures, unfortunately. And I don't know whether it was announced or not, but Bing's... Negotiations with Otto Klemperer. Otto Klemperer had a stroke. Whether he was recovering from the stroke or had the stroke that summer, I don't know. But Bing had offered Klemperer a new production of Tristan and even allowed Klemperer to pick his own designer for it, and he picked Theo Otto. Can't remember whether there was a press release, but of course the disappointment was that Klemperer, because of his physical health, could not even leave Europe. He continued his career for many years, but unfortunately never at the Met. That was a big disappointment. And the good things about her were the debuts, which I'll come into later. On October 26th, the season opened with a new production of Il Trovatore. Sorely needed the old production that I saw in the 40s, was really falling apart. And he hired an English designer, a woman called Elizabeth Montgomery, who had done a production of Martha a, a year or so before. And she had the stage name of Motley and she was basically a ballet designer, very well known in England, and her Trovatore was quite wonderful in a way. It wasn't a great production, but it had painted flats, and she loved the color blue, so it had lots of life in it compared to the old production, and the painted flats were not being used in those days very much anymore, and uh, it was really a very, not just pretty, it was it had atmosphere, so it was, it was a step ahead, a big step ahead. Big would never have used the old production. And the cast was more than interesting, mainly the Leonora Antoinette Stella. He gave her her first opening night, also her last opening night. Ragunzi, who had sung uh, uh, Radames as his debut with Stella a year or so before, and for me was not that type of Verdi tenor. He actually, after the Radames, before this opening night, the season before, he had sung his first Rodolfo and his first uh, Cavradossi, a much better singer uh, in, in that repertoire. But he was the uh, Manrico
2: ate per di chi era guerra i
1: big big not surprised because people wanted to hear she had this big reputation from Europe and had been announced once before when she actually didn't fulfill a contract was the debut of uh, of Giulietta Simonato's Alcicena a woman of some years maybe by that time late 40s maybe 50 very small wiry little lady the critics raved about her the audience just went wild. It was the best Achanda since Chloe Elmo back in the early 40s who only sang it a few times. but it was really a triumph <laughs>
2: Pasti. Il figlio Giunsi a refiero del conte, lo trascina per mano. Il fiamme arde un gioiello.
1: It was really Simonato's season because she sang right after the uh, Azucena. The next role she sang about a week later was Santuzza, and I, I still have qualms about that, not vocally. I couldn't believe it. It was with Jan Pierce of all people. He was a big surprise. Well, we had already heard her Azucena, so we knew what to expect vocally, but Jan Pierce has been singing there for years, and it really was incredible. He sang the offstage opening in Sicilian dialect. not sure whether it everybody does it like that, but Pierce not only did that in Sicilian dialect, but I swear much of the opera, he lapsed into Sicilian dialect. He was so fiery, the critics couldn't get over it. I mean, not that the voice was any bigger, it, but he seemed to be comfortable because he couldn't really see, and in most productions of Calvaria there's the church, the staircase, and then you have nothing in the front, no encumbrance like, there's Mammaluccia's table, which in this production was way at the end of the stage. on on the left hand facing the stage, and he had no encumbrances, didn't have to worry about watching the furniture, which he was very careful about. And he really sang up a storm in a very rough Sicilian way, strangely enough. People used to, especially the Italians in the audience up in the family circle, always had arguments that he was really Italian, and then of course they'd say, no, no, he learned his Italian on the streets of Little Italy on the Lower East Side. But the big surprise for me, and I don't forget it, and maybe it prejudiced me not against her vocal performance. Sansuta came out in the usual costume, but it was it was basically a shorter dress right under the knees, not a long skirt. And it was very popular among ladies in the thirties in this country, and it kinda got phased out after the war. They used to marcel their hair. There's a word Marcel is sort of in waves. And I don't know, she might have done it in Italy or it wasn't a wig, I don't think. She had marcelled hair, and she wore high heels. For me, for me, I took one look at her before she opened her mouth. She looked more Chanel than she did Sicilian in her costume, because very beautifully done with the typical peasant colors. But it was right under the knee, and and high heels. Now Simonato was a very small woman. I had met her years later. I realized I'm not tall, but she was two three inches shorter than me. Jan Pierce wasn't tall, By the time she put the heels on, she and Jan were just about head to head, and he was only about five six or five six and a half or seven, average, a little smaller than average height. But I kept on listening to her and saying to myself, "She's singing up a storm!" But what is she doing it's Easter Sunday in, in a village in Sicily with that Marcel hair? I don't think it was a wig. I doubt it. I think she actually had it done by some Italian hairdresser here in New York because I didn't see Marcel hair with any lady after the war, actually, in the 40s. And this was 1959. And uh, it's funny, she looked out of place, but when she did it with Burling, that was the last Opry ever sang at the Met. He did something that he never did on stage before. He acted. He never did any acting. He had stock gestures. He was short. He was pudgy. And he was a terrible actor. This year, something came over him, and I remember him taking her, and especially his last performance, which wasn't Simonato, unfortunately. It was Mary Curtis Verna, But I remember the last time he sang with Simonato was the first time he did it, when he actually grabbed her and threw her to the ground and dragged her and dragged her part of the stage. So unlike him and so exciting with the way his voice rang out. It wasn't a big voice, but it was crystal clear with incredible top notes. Also sang Faust that year. One of the few times he didn't cancel in the French repertoire, he was unbeatable. After that, Giulietta Siminato sang an incredibly wonderful Amneris. I mean, so exciting. This little woman, the voice was a pure, very mezzo, with the low going into the wonderful, blooming top, and it was like gangbusters. new production was only a few days later, and that was Nuts of the Figaro, what looked like a, a dream cast and a dream conductor. It was Leinsdorf, who actually conducted the Mozart repertoire very well at that time, more than very well. And Sir uh, Richard was hired to direct it. He'd done the pericole, comes and directs the Figaro, and I don't know what was going on. I saw some of the rehearsals. And the designer was a wonderful British designer who actually did mostly ballet sets. His name was Oliver Messel, meticulous man for colors and all. And he did the Sleeping Beauty that opened the ballet season, Margot Fontaine, at the Met in 49. Incredibly beautiful production. Then he started to do opera in Glyndebourne on a small scale. He did a part of it very ordinary, and but the second act, the boudoir scene uh, in the second act was the most beautiful scene Cyril so Richard, for some reason, thought it was a farce, a complete farce, so he, knowing no Italian and had to have people tell him what the singers were saying, he had a completely different concept. For instance, in the opening, to visually show that they were in servants' quarters, he had a clothesline across the stage with Susanna's underpants in it and Figaro's, And then there were actions that he wanted Poor Soderstrom, I felt sorry for her because that was her debut. It was a good cast. Sieppe, of course, had done Figaro. That was his repertoire, so he stayed pretty much to his own, uh, didn't listen much to Richard. He had his own interpretation. And della Casa pretty much didn't listen to him either. Poor Soderstrom, faithfully went along with his directions, and it was really what should have been a comedy of, of manners at the most became a farce. And then they had, instead of George London, who of course was rehearsing the Dutchman at th- that particular year, was the first year of the Dutchman, they put in a bass baritone called "Kim Borg." I have no idea why they even thought about him for the Count. I think he sang m- mostly Wagnerian type of singer, and he was uh, less than adequate as the count, so that whole role was lost in a completely. In such bad direction, such bad everything. It was a production that only came back once or twice and uh, was a complete failure. Many, many years later, when Soderstrom had retired, she came to the Met to be a guest for the Swedish Opera Ball, and the Opera Club asked me if I would make a little speech about her debut, because I was the only one they found that was there. <laughs> Never forget when she sang De Viene non tardar, a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful voice. She held a few roses and near the end she kept dropping them one by one. And I mentioned that 25, 30 years later when I spoke and I said, I'll never forget how you held those roses and one by one at a certain time they dropped. And she looked at me, she said, I don't think anybody remembered that. And for me, it was just divine. Just perfect. It was a perfect gesture, and and I'm sure I didn't want to say anything. I'm sure it was not Sir Richard's idea. If it was, it was the only good idea in the whole production. Mm.
0: Thank you for listening to the Operatic Pastcast. Visit the website at OperaticPastcast.com. This is your producer, Donald Cullop.